when we come on tours of Salt Lake City and we take dignitaries to Temple Square and the tour guide says, do you know that members built this temple by hand? And when we found out that there was a crack in the foundation, foundation. it was so important that we tore years and years of labor down and we built it back up because that is how important the temple of God is to the people of the Church of Jesus Christ. That one brick being broken. I am already so alone in this gospel. One foundation being cracked. We belong to a church that sealed a woman, Jane Elizabeth Manning James, as an eternal slave to Joseph Smith. The whole thing had to come out. The fact that we as a church found a crack in the foundation. We belong to a church where they said nigger from the pulpit. Then why don't we belong to a church where they say we shouldn't have said that? And we dismantled the entire house of God to put it back up together to make sure that the foundation would be cracked. If you want me to believe that God wanted me to suffer from 1852 to 1978, I cannot be here. Do not put that on my father. Don't do that to me. Because if you do that to me, you will break me. I am here because I know that anything that any leader has said about me, God does not think that of me. The crack in the foundation in this body, we're not dismantling. We want to help the world with the moat in their eye when we have a racial being in our own eye. To build it back up, to make sure that that crack doesn't exist. And when the dignitaries come to Temple Square, I'm grateful that the leaders are meeting with the NAACP. But they don't have to stay. And I hate that I feel that they're the lucky ones. I am already so alone in this gospel. We tell that story about dismantling the whole foundation in order to build it back up properly, but we don't say, and Sam and Amanda Chambers contributed so much to the building of this temple and they never got to go in. And Jane Manning James walked across the plains and helped build this temple and she never got to go inside. And when she was permitted to inside, she saved her by proxy as a slave to Joseph Smith. And we don't say, some of these very brave that in the that I feel that they're the lucky ones. Prophet seers and revelators who I do believe in. I do believe in. And who I do sustain. I do sustain. And who I look to to bring me peace. I hope that we'll find out that they care. I am already so alone in this gospel. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core. I'm sorry to words I always think after you're gone when I realize I was acting no wrong. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and what you just heard was a response from Zandra Brains. I think I said that right. She's the co-founder of Sisters of Zion. Uh, 
And first of all, Zandra, I want you to know, I watched every minute of your very vulnerable, open, heartfelt response to this hoax that happened yesterday. And as much as I possibly can, I feel for you. And as much as I possibly can be, I want to be one with the vision that you have. You call being one in the body of Christ. I might use different language for it, but I'm with you. I have so much respect and admiration for you. And I am so sorry for the pain that you feel for the things that you've gone through, just the little bit that you were able to share that I was able to to glean. And I want to learn more about you and I want to follow your example. So here's what happened. Yesterday, many of you probably already know there was a hoax that was played on the Mormon church. It was a practical joke. I know a thing or two about practical jokes. It was a piece of satire. I know a thing or two about satires. It was a fake apology from the Mormon church. Not really. Apologizing for the history of institutionalized racism. Now, these are words that many of us wish that we would actually hear from the LDS church. And we've done things like this before in the recent conference episode. We did a talk that was a... a, pseudo-apology from the church. I mean, it was obvious that that was not the church that was doing it. But I understand where Jonathan Streeter was coming from, but as President Oaks, the real President Oaks, not Bob doing Oaks, (laughs) loves to remind us... I'm not aware that the word apology appears anywhere in the scriptures, Bible or Book of Mormon. Uh, the word apology ca- contains a lot of connotations in it and a lot of significance. We do not seek apologies. So Jonathan Streeter, uh, which is a name that I recognize, but I don't really know. Um, I think he listens to Infants on Thrones. If so, uh, contact me, Jonathan. Let's talk. But yesterday, Jonathan wrote a brilliantly scathing piece of satire. And he published it on the internet as if it came from the LDS church itself. It fooled a lot of people and it hurt a lot of people. Xandra was one of those people that it hurt. And today I want to talk about that. Actually, what I I want to do is republish much of what Xandra said in her response to it. And then I want to insert my own thoughts and comments into what she has to say about it. Now, it's a complicated issue. And I hope that I'm able to approach it with the respect and the gravity that it deserves because this is a big deal. And I really hope that in doing this, I'm not making it worse for anybody. But let's start with this. So yesterday, the LDS Church uh, presidency met with leaders from the NAACP. And Jonathan put up this fake LDS newsroom website and he published a fake apology. Here's what it said. May 17th, 2018. Two general authorities and the following leaders in the United States and Canada, Area 70, Stake, Mission and District Presidents, Bishops and Branch Presidents. Dear Brethren, President Nelson meets with NAACP, offers apology for history of racism. As I look around, I am reminded that this is not the first time leaders of our church have sat in council with the leadership of the NAACP. The first meeting 
1963, prior to the October General Conference, resulted in a remarkable statement on civil rights read by President Hugh B. Brown over the tabernacle pulpit. It was a beginning. As I ponder on it now, I recognize how much we as a church must learn from our past. It is with a solemn heart that I address you all today. I have upon my shoulders a mantle that I don't suppose you can see with your eyes. It has a weight of its own and represents the responsibility and duty that accompany this office which I hold, the holy stewardship of the children of God, both within and outside of our faith. The trust inherent to that stewardship is no small part of its weight. This prophetic mantle of this dispensation of the fullness of times began on the shoulder of the founder of our faith, the prophet Joseph Smith. I imagine Joseph's shoulders strained at times to bear the weight of the mantle until they were relieved of that calling on the ground outside of Carthage jail. Still, the mantle passed on. To each of the brethren who have borne it since then, those men who have passed through the office I now hold, its weight and shape have persisted, adapted to the needs of the people and the inspired direction of our Creator. Each of us bear the same duty and responsibility in accepting this office, and in so doing, we also may be called upon to act on the principle of that mantle in completing or responding to matters started by our institutional and ecclesiastical forebears who also bore it before us. It is in that capacity that I address you now, this day. Today, as prophet, seer, and revelator, and President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I offer a full, unqualified apology for the error of racism which was taught from this office and in the tabernacle and over the pulpits of our churches the world over. I am joined by my counselors in the First Presidency and the full quorum of the Twelve Apostles in making this apology, and we collectively bear witness and testimony of the devastating effects of racism which were perpetrated by leaders of the church in the past. Institutionally in the past, we taught false and hurtful ideas about curses, skin color, and spiritual worthiness, and we were wrong. We taught false notions of white supremacy in civil and religious life, heinous ideas of pure white blood, and erroneously condemned interracial marriage, and we were wrong. We took it upon ourselves to interpret scripture to justify the false ideas and closed our hearts and minds to the truth of God's love, even when it could be found in God's written word, ancient and revealed, and we were wrong. We hardened our hearts to the plain and simple truth of universal brotherhood and equality of all before God, and we were wrong. We withheld from our brothers and sisters the joys of temple service, the security of an eternal family, the peace of hope for the full exaltation, complete fellowship among the saints, and the duty and blessing of the priesthood, and we were wrong. We operated in the political sphere and used our influence to fight against civil rights when we should have been on the front lines in defense of those rights, and we were wrong. We reproved good men and women whose hearts were enlightened and whose voices were raised to God for equality, and we were wrong. We have previously acknowledged 
that false and racist explanations of the priesthood and temple restrictions were wrong and disavowed them. Today, I am declaring that the ban itself was wrong. It was not of God, but of fallible men, born of ignorance, pride, and sin. We stand humbly before our God and the world this day to prostrate our souls and beg forgiveness. With the mantle of authority also comes accountability. Though we did not originate these teachings and policies, we cannot deny accountability for their harm. Many of us were living and secure in our places of priesthood privilege during those days and did not speak out against their falsehood when it was our duty. And each of us now feels the weight of institutional responsibility for those affronts to God's precious children. Our souls are harrowed up by the memory of this sin. To every man, woman, and child, and to every family scarred by this hurtful sin, we humbly ask for forgiveness. We plead forgiveness of God and forgiveness from all of you in this room and throughout the world. Throughout the scriptures, the Lord has called for his people to humble themselves and correct the error of their ways, the leaders most of all. Members may be faithful in following the teaching and instructions of their leaders, but if their leaders are in error, how much greater is their need for repentance because of their influence? Just as individual repentance is commanded by the Lord, so too is institutional repentance, and we, the prophets and apostles, must take the lead. We began our own institutional repentance in 1978 when the restriction on the priesthood and temple blessings was removed. I learned as a surgeon how a wound which is not fully healed may fester, and I have come to see the principle true for our church. For us, this wound of racism has taken the form of lingering false ideas which have remained in the hearts of both leaders and members, resulting in cultural divisions which fester below the surface. Today, I am cleansing the wound and completing that doctrinal restitution by acknowledging that there are false, racist ideas which have been enshrined in our canonized scripture. This is not as surprising as you might think. In the very title page, the prophet Moroni himself states that the Book of Mormon may contain errors which are the mistakes of men, and this is true of any scripture. With that in mind, I am announcing the formation of a scriptural review committee on race. This committee is composed of representatives from the Quorum of the Twelve, the Relief Society, the Seventy, and key members of BYU and CES faculty in sociology and race relations and will be presided over by the president of the Genesis Group. The committee will take the next six months to review our current body of modern revealed canonized scripture and identify those faults of men around racism which have been left uncorrected. They will consult with experts in sociology, race relations, and theology from both inside and outside of the church and present their recommendations at the October General Conference this fall. Those recommendations may take the form of additional footnotes, updated headers, additional explanatory text, or even full removal of offending passages. We will all have time to prayerfully consider their findings and recommendations before the April 2019 General Conference, where they will be presented to the body of the Church for a sustaining vote, according to the Law of Common Consent, as contained in the Doctrine and Covenants. 
Following the April 2019 conference, the Correlation Department of the Church will complete the requisite systematic revision of all manuals, videos, and publications. True repentance requires a deep introspection and thorough understanding of the degree of the offense. Though it may sometimes be painful, it carries a hope for a brighter future free from the mistakes of the past. Though we have been chastened of the Lord, we are hopeful for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth." It is my prayer that we all examine our hearts and root out those aspects of ourselves which may have been shaped by the racism of our past. As leaders and as members, we must constantly guard against these biases. The strongest ally we have in this endeavor is Christ. He set the example of unconditional love and charity. If we measure our hearts against that standard and always strive to meet it, changing where we must, even though it may be difficult, then we can stay on the path of discipleship and grow in faith and love for all of God's children. On behalf of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, its current and past leaders and members, I offer this humble apology and plead for forgiveness in the merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Signed, Russell M. Nelson, Dallin H. Oaks, Henry B. Eyring, the First Presidency. Wow. Okay, Jonathan. That was brilliant. So well said, so poignant, so true to the spirit of satire as enshrined by another Jonathan of the swift variety, whose immodest proposal addressed once upon a time the inequality of the ruling class in Ireland, but in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, suggesting that the poorer, starving people among them simply eat their children, and maybe even turn it into an industry so that the wealthy can eat the children as well, since they're kind of doing it anyway. Now, satire, it's not always about being funny. Satire's mainly about shining the light on injustice and forcing people to look at things that they would rather just not look at. And you did that, Jonathan. You did it well. But it came at a price. A price that maybe you didn't consider ahead of time. Maybe you did. I hope you didn't. Satire can be sharp and biting and hurtful. And this fake apology, it got a lot of people's hopes up. It articulated things very well that they wished that the church would actually say. And then you put that out there, and you put that out there in a way that made it look like it really was from the church, and then you said, psych! And their hopes were dashed, smashed, crushed. And no one expresses that roller coaster of emotion more beautifully or honestly than what I heard from Zandra Vrains on a live Facebook video stream yesterday. Zandra, a believing Mormon like many of us used to be, but not like many of us in some very significant ways. Zandra has strong faith, stronger than I ever had, and a strong desire for love and healing and unity among all people. And Jonathan, without realizing it, you hurt her and many others. And I just hope that the white male response to this incident is not, well, that's what they get for remaining in an institution that traumatizes them and continually falls short of owning up to that. 
because that's not the right response. It's not helpful. It's not an excuse for going to such great lengths to fool people without really measuring or appreciating the costs of doing it. So that's my comment on this whole issue. What I want to do now is I want to play some excerpts from Zandra's recording, from her response, and then insert some of my own comments and thoughts that I had while I was watching it yesterday. What she has to say is so powerful, and I, I would encourage everyone to take the time, I think it's 85 minutes, to listen to what she has to say. Uh, just listen. Listen to every minute of it. Feel what she's feeling. It's a powerful education. There's so much to learn from that. And uh, Xandra, I'm really glad that you did it. Matt, I'm glad that you let me know what was going on because I had no idea. Matt sent me a text yesterday and said, hey, you got to check this out. So um, th- there, there may be future panel discussions where other infants chime in on this, but I just wanted to get this out pretty quickly. Um, and so here you go. Here's uh, what Xander has to say with some of my comments inserted. Good morning, Saints. Um, I wish I could say that it was a good morning, but it's not a good morning. It's only 10.43 a.m. where I'm at. And I'll be honest, my morning is super ruined right now. Um, you know, I woke up to real early to a whole bunch of excited um, black, white, and brown Mormons who thought that the church had issued an apology for the racism in the church. And um, it turned out that that was fake. Um, But unfortunately, what wasn't fake was the real emotions that people attached to it. I'm going to read the the. This, the fake statement, and then I'll read the church's real statement, and then I'm going to talk about um, some of the, I mean, quite frankly, the trauma that people just went through. And um, let me get to reading. So um, this morning, I was, I'm, I'm talking, so many people sent me this, and um, when I read it, I cried. Real cry, real tears. And I prayed a real prayer of gratitude to my Heavenly Father. And it turns out it was fake. But I'm going to read it. It's on church, fake church letterhead, but it says President Nelson meets with the NAACP, offers apology for history of racism. Today, I am declaring that the ban itself was wrong. It was not of God. But a fallible man 
Born of ignorance, pride, and sin, we stand humbly before our God and the world this day to prostrate our souls and beg forgiveness. With the mantle of authority also comes accountability. You guys can read the rest. Anyways, it's not real. And I think that whoever did this, you're not helping people. And you're heartless. I'm going to read you some of the responses I got from people today. Xander, I'm in tears. Just when I thought I was never coming back. I'm crying. I never thought this was possible. I just had to be excused from my meeting because I began to cry in front of my colleagues. I never thought this day would come. My prayers have been answered. I'm seriously floored and so happy. My heart is beating so fast. I can't even type. I am crying. Thank you for living prophets. Can we get on a call and pray? President Nelson is the man that was saved for such a time as this. This is so cruel. I cannot believe that anyone, anyone would do this and profess that they were helping black people and think that you were an ally. This is garbage. You need to repent. This is this is the re-traumatization. You have broken so many hearts today. And I am talking about you. I'm not even focused on the church right now. I'm talking about the person that thought that this was okay. You're not a friend. You're not an ally. You're not a brother. You're not a sister. And I, I doubt that this was done by one person because this was put up on a website that mimicked the church's website. It looked like it was from LDS newsroom. And um, and I and that's not I, I mean, I that's just me reading text that I was sent. If I go into the Facebook messages, the tweets and everything you I can tell you more. I have people that are cons- I have people that probably voted for Donald Trump and didn't even and, and don't want to acknowledge it. I'm talking black people and they put this put this fake message on their wet on their on their social media and and said that they never wanted to admit that they needed this healing, that they wanted it because they thought their testimony would crumble if they acknowledged it. People that have that have 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 gone out and and spoken against other black people who have shared that they are hurt by the ban, those people posted this and let their hearts be open and were vulnerable. The people that did this are not friends, they're not brothers, they're not sisters in Christ. This is garbage and this is trash. And and to and to re-traumatize an entire community because I don't know what you were trying to do, embarrass the church, whatever. We are not pawns in your game of 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 white people fighting the white church. That is utterly ridiculous. You need to pray, you need to repent. Because you are not an ally. And I, I cannot reiterate that anymore. 
that, that the people that did this do not care about black people. They do not care about traumatized people. If anybody knows the people that that think that they were that that by doing this that they were doing something good, I want you to tell them that Zandra said it is garbage. It is trash. That they do not care about us. That they that we they used us as pawns in whatever thing it was that they wanted to do. All right, here's my first cut in. Now, as someone who does a lot of satire myself from my own place of betrayal, from my own sense of injustice from what I've experienced in the church in the course of my life, it's, it's hard for me to hear this um, because I would want to be friends with the Xanders of the world. I would want to be seen as an ally with the Xanders of the world. But Xander is totally right in, you know, saying that we're not allies and saying that we're not on the same side. You know, I I can only imagine that if I were Jonathan, if I had done this, I would be saying something like, well, but I really am on your side, Xandra. I actually do want the real apology that you so clearly want. And I want you to not feel the pain that you're so clearly feeling. Now, I can imagine that I would feel that way if I were Jonathan, if I had written this hoax and then heard how painful it was to people like Xandra. But again, she's right. It was a cruel move to make because of the cost involved. And for as clever and brilliant as this piece of writing was, It's not really Jonathan's place or my place to choose institutional racism as the axe to grind in this case. I mean, sure, people like myself and Jonathan, we did suffer at the hands of the church, this institutional racism, in the sense that it turned us into unintentional racists (laughs) of varying degrees of the Mike Tannehill variety. But that's nothing compared to what people experience on the other side of that racism. And if you don't care about hurting those people, then what the hell are you really doing? I mean, what do you care about? Racism, sexism, genderism, TBMism, all of these us versus them othering. You know, if we left the Mormon church because of perceived institutional hypocrisy and the sense of injustice, then we better be sure to be more careful in what we do. And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me here, too. And be more selective about the hills where we decide to do battle and potentially die on. Now, I think this one, as brilliant as I think it was, Jonathan, I think it was a mistake, miscalculated, and I think at the very least it deserves an apology At the very best, it deserves what Xandra is calling for, which is true repentance, which involves listening. It involves caring. It involves believing the people that you claim that you're looking out for. Even when those people believe things that you think are stupid or support leaders that you've rejected. So Xandra's totally right here. We've got this cultural misappropriation, usurping culture it was a bad move a bad move it 
re-traumatized because I can already tell you there's already traumatizing elements of being a member of a church that has said some of the things that you put in the apology. We already know that. So we're already traumatized. You re-traumatize this. It's the same thing that if you had done this to a, a victim of sexual abuse and had and had made her think that her that her rapist had apologized for what they did for her to find out that she, that it was a fake this trauma is real wait a minute did you just inadvertently compare the mormon church to a rapist I'm going to shut up again. The emotions that people had when they read this were real. The prayers that people offered when they read this were real. The You created real re-traumatization to an entire community. And it's bull. And it's not being a friend. And it's not being an ally. And I don't see you as a friend. And I don't see you as an ally. There's nothing about that that I... that that I am pleased with. There's nothing about that, that that makes me feel like there's people out there. You don't feel like whoever did this, you're not an organization that cares about black people. Now, you know, when you look back at this with retrospect, you know, 2020, you can look back and see things that are going on with this. Uh, you know, Jonathan created the hoax apology, right? You know, he knew that the church was meeting with the NAACP, and so he got out in front of this and wrote this fake response summarizing what the church had done and said in this meeting with the NAACP. But he didn't have anything to do with the church's actual response. Now, one of the things that Xander's about to talk about here that was so hard was the juxtaposition of the fake response, which had all of the elements which she would actually want the church to say, and then the actual response, which was so, well, I'll, I'll let her explain it. And the next thing I want to say is I'm, I'm going to read the church's actual statement because they, they did, this was put out while they were meeting with the NAACP and um, and so, while everyone thought that the fake apology, the fake apology was their actual um, their actual words from that meeting, because people knew that they announced that they were meeting with the NAACP this morning, they actually hadn't made their. Um, their real announcement when everyone got the news of this. So what happened was we all got the fake one and then the church president Nelson then came out um, not too long ago with the, whatever he was already planning to say. And so this is what, this is what he's, this is what the real statement was. Says the, First presidency and NAACP leaders call for greater civility, racial harmony. The first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the national leadership of National Association for Advancement of Colored People are calling for greater racial, for greater civility and racial harmony. Senior church leaders and the NAACP released a joint statement Thursday morning following a meeting in the church administration building 
on Temple Square in Salt Lake City. Today in unity with such capable and impressive leaders as the national officials of the NAACP, we are impressed to call upon people of this nation and indeed the entire world to demonstrate greater civility, racial and ethnic harmony and mutual respect, said President Russell M. Nelson, who was joined by his counselors, President Dallin H. Oaks and President Henry B. Eyring. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints continues to affirm its fundamental doctrine and our heartfelt conviction that all people are God's precious children and therefore brothers and sisters, said President Nelson. We compliment the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for its good faith efforts to bless not only its members, but people throughout the United States and indeed the world in so many ways, said Derek Johnson, president and CEO of the NAACP. These include humanitarian and welfare services, pioneering work in higher education and promoting the dignity of all people as children of God. In addition to Johnson, other NAACP leadership in attendance at the meeting included Leon W. Russell, Chairman Boards of Directors, Wilbur O. Colum, Special Counsel to the Board of Directors, Janetta Williams, local Utah branch presidents, and Dr. Amos C. Brown, Chairman of Interfaith Relations. The NAACP and church leaders are exploring a possible service project where local members of each organization can work together as the church does with a number of organizations. Current plans are being considered to increase education and wage improvement um, among members of a mutually identified community. On Friday, on Friday, church leaders will host a luncheon for the NAACP and invited community members. On Sunday, the group will attend a special performance of music and the spoken word featuring the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square. The NAACP's visit to Salt Lake City comes two weeks before the church's 40th anniversary celebration of the 1978 revelation on priesthood scheduled for the June 1st at the conference center. And President um, Nelson statement says the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints continues to affirm its fundamental doctrine and our heartfelt conviction that all people are God's precious children and therefore brothers and sisters nearly a quarter century ago, the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 apostles proclaim that all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter of heavenly parents. And as such, each has divine nature and destiny. Today in unity with such capable and impressive leaders as the national officials of the NAACP, we are impressed to call on people of this nation and indeed the entire world to demonstrate greater civil, racial and ethnic harmony and mutual respect. In meetings this morning, we have begun to explore ways such as education, humanitarian service, in which our respective members and others can serve and move forward together, lifting our brothers and sisters who need our help, just as our Savior Jesus Christ would have done, would have us do. These are his words. I say unto you, be one. And if you're not one, you're not mine. Doctrine and Covenants. Together, we invite all people, organizations, and governments to work with greater civility, eliminating prejudice of all kinds, and focusing more on the many areas of interest. As we lead our people to work cooperatively, we will all achieve the respect, regard, and blessings that God seeks for all of his children. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> obviously, on the heels of 
what people just experience. I mean, this did nothing. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, the first presidency that, um, that, you know, I'm sure they thought that this was going to be a good thing, but, um, it pales and it's not even pale. It's, it's nothing into comparison to what people were nursing when we all clamored to find out what the real um, announcement was going to be. And I mean, I was shocked when I got the fake one this morning because um, I already knew that the church was calling for, um, I, I already knew the gist of what the, the NAACP um, announcement was supposed to be that it was supposed. I thought it was going to be a more specific, like a call for a day of civility, like a specific day. Um, and so that's what I was expecting. So when I got the, um, the fake one, obviously it exceeded my expectations. I was already felt, um, trepidatious about what the real announcement, what I had heard the real announcement was going to be, which was a call for greater civility. My trepidation was because I don't know how we as an organization can um, lead the world to, to be better racially. That's like, to me, it feels like we're, we are saying we want to help the world with the moat in their eye when we have a racial beam in our own eye. So I already wasn't um, too pleased with the fact that um, that this was going. I had I had resigned myself because I knew that that's what I was. Um, I, it was rumored that was going to be a call for racial civility. I thought it was going to be more specific, like a, a day. We're all getting. We're gonna. Um, we're gonna do it on this day. But I mean, my my true honest feelings were that. Um, it didn't make sense because, again, how do we lead the world in being better about racism when we haven't dealt with our own history of racism? And to me, that feels like take the moat out of the world's eye while, if we can, while we're still trying to see through the beam in our own eye. So, no, I wasn't, I wasn't excited about that already. So when, I, so when I went to bed, I mean, my prayer was that I would feel better about whatever it was they did and then of course when i got the fake news then i dropped to my knees immediately because yeah the fake news was way better than what i thought and i mean this is even softer than what i was told it was going to be which was a specific day and a specific call this was even vaguer it was kind of like hey guys we unite to ask the world to be better racially, civilly, and have racial harmony. And we ask that they do that in their organizations throughout the world. And I feel a way about that because we don't do that in our own organization. And, I, and you know, I don't believe in bullying the church into anything. I don't believe that what those people did, whoever, um, whoever put that out there, that was not spirit-led. That was not, um, that's not the way to get things achieved. The only, unless what you were trying to achieve was re-traumatizing people and that you accomplished that. That's what you did. 
And that, I never, if somebody would have told me that they were going to do that, I can tell you with, there's not a lot of things I can say with every fiber of my being, but I tell you with every fiber of my being, I would have let whoever, I, that it would not have happened on my watch. There is no uh, part of me that thinks that any person of color um, could have participated in that because of, because of what it just did to people. And I don't even want to read the text to you guys of what people said once they found out it was fake. The person, my friend that stepped out and her colleagues gave her a moment, she was in a business meeting and began crying and they had her step outside. And we had to tell her that it was fake and she had to go back inside with no, no, explanation for why she had erupted into tears of joy in the middle of a work meeting. And I have friends, people are saying they're leaving. I am already so alone in this gospel. I don't have room for people to leave me here. People are leaving over this because that what we actually got, it was nothing. You know, when I first heard this yesterday, I was fascinated. I was just transfixed. <laughs> and I think it's really important to both recognize and to avoid the urge that I felt vicariously um, for validation. You know, that I somehow saw Jonathan's role in creating this stark juxtaposition between the faked but desperately hoped for apology and the nothing platitudinal PR spin that the church actually put out, that somehow the difference between that was a good thing. Because it forced Xandra to see the church for the traumatizing rapist, careful, that she hinted at, or that it forced people to think about leaving. You know, maybe Jonathan sees that as a kind of victory. I started feeling that vicariously as I was listening to it. But as I listen more carefully to Zandra, what I hear her saying is something like this. Hey, I don't need you to remind me of how difficult it is for me to stay in this church. You have no idea why I stay or what it costs me to do it. And I do not appreciate you for making this more difficult for me. I hear that that's what she's saying. and. It makes me want to better understand the reasons why she's choosing to stay and others like her, why they're doing it. And it makes me not only want to understand them, but to genuinely accept those reasons and then to help them find what they're looking for because it's probably pretty similar to what I'm looking for. And it's not that I need to force them to leave because I have left to turn them into pawns, as she suggested earlier, because for whatever reason, I'm still needing validation for my own decision of doing what I did and leaving the church. I'll talk more about that later, but I admire Zandra's reasons for staying as I listen to what she's saying. And I admire the vision that she has for the world that she'd like to create. I want to be part of that world. I want to live in that world. And I want to help her create it. And while I may think that I've already started in a sense, 
to create that world by identifying the flaws in the foundation and taking things apart brick by brick. Listening to what Xander says is a good reminder that there are still people living in that building that I'm tearing down, and they're good people, they're important people, and I need to care about them more. And I'll have more to say about this later. I just want to say, if I could say anything to the church and its leaders, I don't want you to be bullied into anything. I don't want you, I don't want what the organization, whoever did this, whoever made the fake site, they were wrong. But I want them to know, President Nelson, people are suffering. People, people's spirituality, people's relationship with God are suffering. We belong to a church that sealed a woman, Jane Elizabeth Manning James, as an eternal slave to Joseph Smith. The world didn't do that. The NAACP did not do that. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints did it. And that has to be spoken to. We're having a worldwide celebration and saying that we're going to be one. And we're not one. And we're not doing the things that make us become one. Elijah Abel, the, the, the first Black 70 that was ordained in the time of Joseph Smith, he's currently not even included in the church's celebration because we're still waiting for approval to see if we can say that this Black man had the priesthood. How is that us being one? We don't want to acknowledge the people that were here. Those things are real things. Those things the world did not do. Those things we can speak to. Those things can bring healing if they are addressed. Those things you cannot tell me that it was right to seal a woman who had never in her life been a slave as an eternal servant to a prophet of God. That's not right. And those are things that we did as a, as, a, as a body of Christ and that those are in our wheelhouse. I don't expect the church to solve racism in the world. I, I, I mean, I expect the gospel and people with the gospel, it should be changing us. And then when we go out into the world, we should make a difference in our homes and in our communities because the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed us. But there are things that have happened that are traumatizing things that people are still dealing with today. And they're just being ignored and they're not being spoken to and they're being covered up and that is trauma. And people are begging, 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 begging for the church that they, that they know that God led them to, that houses the restored gospel of Jesus Christ to address these things so their testimonies can breathe and live. And this doesn't do that. This, the NAACP, you know what happens? They get on a plane on Sunday and they go home and they go back to whatever church they came from with people that look like them to, that speak to their pains. They don't worship with me. They are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And while the NAACP may cause a blackout in Salt Lake City today, that blackout is not indicative of what I experience every day in my real life as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yesterday, I got a message 
telling me that the church wants black people to show up to music and the spoken word because the NAACP is going to be there. And to be quite frank, I've been asked to show up at things where there's going to be a black presence my whole existence in the church. But yesterday, it felt like tokenism. Because why? Why should I show up to, to go there and to ha and so that the, so that in front of the NAACP we can look more diverse. Music in the spoken word is not organically diverse. Salt Lake City is where music in the spoken word is. So just because the NAACP is there, a whole bunch of black people are being asked to show up. And then guess what? We're not going to be asked the following Sunday and the Sunday after that. And even if we all show up there and we get to be with other people that look like us. All of the NAACP is getting on a plane and, like I said, going home. And they, they're they not here. The NAACP doesn't sit in cl classes and get told that they're cursed, which I got told in 2017 in a class, in a, in a, in a Relief Society class and taught by a teacher. So to me, I, I understand that the church needs to meet with, with leaders of, of organizations, and that's part of the way that they educate themselves and they find out that I'm not mad, I'm not upset that the church meets with the NAACP. We need to be doing things like that. But our efforts of doing things like that, whatever the NAACP told them, I don't know what they said in the meeting, but what they said in the meeting and what they taught our leaders should be then reflected in our body. That's what it should be used at. They should be learning the things that they need to know to then come in and to use those things to heal people in their own organization and to address things in their own organization. I just don't understand how we think we're going to be at the forefront of healing racism in the world when we are, have not healed it in our own body. And you're asking people who are still burden and still experiencing trauma in their own church community to engage in days of service and i'm supposed to go out in the community and 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 it says in, they're putting together a, an effort of service you want me to serve when the place i'm supposed to come to to to, to have the 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 edification that gives me the energy to go out and serve in my community, this is a place that's riddled with racism. And when I say riddled with racism, I do not mean that I'm experiencing racism at the hands of my local congregation on a regular basis. What I mean that is that we have a history that we're not dealing with and that that history is causing trauma for all of its members. And if, it, if you're not one of the people traumatized by the history, God bless you. I'm talking about the people that are. Those people are traumatized here, and we're trying our best to, to, to engage in our faith community and to do the things that we need to do to address those things and to heal people so that then we can be a benefit to our communities. We can't go out and serve on a day of service when we have not even learned how to do that in our body of Christ. And so, you know, I don't like, I don't like the idea of, you know, making the NAACP, like having a whole bunch of black people present for the NAACP when that's not what we really look like. Let the NAACP go sit in a regular ward. Let them go see the black child with adopted parents that is the only black child in their ward and let them see our real. That's what they should see. The real us. The real us is 
people all over this country in particular, I'm not talking about Africa or Brazil or, you know, South America. I'm talking about here in the United States where for the most part, black members do not worship with each other. And that's our reality. And that's what, if the NAACP is going to take a peek in at the church, they should see the real church. And it shouldn't be an effort of making us look blacker or more diverse than we really are. The truth is, music in the spoken word is not diverse unless it is an intentionally done, done that way. If the church wants black people to show up at music in the spoken word, we need to do things that organically draw pe people of color to music in the spoken word. Don't ask us to show up on a special day for photo optics for the NAACP. It's not fair. And it's certainly, I have less tolerance for, for it coming on the heels of something like this and, and having my friends, my family, of all national, I have, oh my gosh, I have people who are not members of our church that sent me this. And I have not even had the guts yet to tell them that it's fake because I was waiting for the real thing so I could say, hey, this is the fake one, but here's the real one our church did. And I'm, I mean, I'm going to have, when I get off of here, I'm going to have to send it to them. But I don't even know what I'm sending them. I'm sending them a call for civility that says that we want our members to engage in humanitarian welfare services, pioneering work in higher education, and promoting the dignity of all people as children of God. And that's a great work for us to engage in, but that doesn't specifically speak to any of the things that are stunting us doing that. I love that. I, I love that the focus is on identifying those things that are stunting the growth that we want to see. Yeah, I, I'm interested in that too. And I don't want to be one of those stunting forces. I want to be something that helps. But that's really hard to do, isn't it? When you've got believers and non-believers trying to have a civil, productive dialogue with each other and not become those stunting forces to one another? Now, okay, sure. Xandra is a believer. She believes in the church. She believes in God. She believes in religion and in faith and in spirit and in metaphysics and blah, 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 blah. So if you're having a hard time hearing what she's saying because of the language that she's using and the way that that language connects to beliefs that you find maybe horrible or offensive and you've rejected them, let me offer a suggestion, or, or better yet, not a suggestion, let me just share with you what I do when I hear those words. I think of those words as symbols. I think of them as symbols that represent ideas. And, you know, symbols take on this whole simulacrum life of their own. I understand that. I've studied that. They're symbols, right? And while I may choose different symbols to try and communicate the ideas that I have, the ideas that are behind those symbols are pretty dang close, if not totally identical. So Xander talks about body of Christ. Well, what does she mean? She's talking about harmony. She's talking about peace, respect for diversity in all of its forms. 
hey, I'm in. She talks about faith in President Nelson and in the leaders of the church. She talks about faith in God, that there's a hope for a harmonious, peaceful world, a hope for guidance, a hope for compassionate leadership. Now, whether I accept Nelson as a prophet of God or God as just a thing, which I don't, not really, I still can accept and appreciate the ideas behind those words, the hope for peace and harmony and righteous leadership and guidance. So the question that I have as I listen to this is how? How do we achieve the ideals, the ideas that we have? How do we do this when we keep tripping over the different symbols that we use to try to communicate and achieve what we all ultimately want, I think? Maybe it's this elusive respect that I've talked about on the podcast before. I don't know. How do you do it? I don't have the answer to that. I don't know where you draw the lines, but it's these questions that I find so fascinating about this whole thing, this hoax, and Xandra's response to it, especially the more she launches into her own criticisms of the church, a church that she loves and remains faithful to. I mean, I I just think this whole thing is totally amazing. We've already been called to do this as members of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is our baptismal covenant. We know we're supposed to be doing this. This is not new news to us, but how we engage in that and how we do that, that's what we've been looking for. And I know that this is not the end of of President Nelson speaking. I know he'll, he'll speak to more of this and But this right now is not, I don't want to send this to my friends. I just, I really don't. I just, I just wish it wasn't so hard to be in the place that God asked you to be. And I know that a lot of people out there that they're, they're tired. There's a, there's a Negro spiritual and it's, and it's, um, says, I don't feel no ways tired. Um, I've come I've come too far from where I've started from. Nobody told me the road would be easy, but I don't believe God brought me this far to leave me. I just can't give up now. That's that's how it starts. It's it's um I just can't give up now come too far from and I can't even sing it today I really can't because I'm so tired I do feel tired I do feel weak I do feel weary I do feel worn and it's true nobody told me the road would be easy and I don't believe that God brought me this far to leave me and I don't because and because of that it's not God I'm not angry at God I'm not I'm not hurt by God God never told me I was cursed. God never told me that I was less than. God never said that I was less valiant in the pre-existence. You know, church leaders said those things. God never said that to me. And, and, And it is only because I know that God never said that to me or to you that I can even labor in, in the vineyards that he has put me in. And I want to tell people that if you, if the desire is to make all of these things be of God, 
you will break people because the only thing that keeps us here is knowing that the things that are damaging and traumatizing us, God didn't do it. And if you force people to believe, and if you double down on the idea that this, that these things were of God, you will break us. If you make me believe that God did this to me, I cannot be here anymore. Because why would I stay with a God who thinks this of me? You have to tell people that the things that hurt them and harmed them, that God did not do it to them. If you damage people's relationship with God, you break them and you cannot put them back together again. The minute someone believes that God is the reason that they are not whole, they are finished. And we have, as a body of Christ have the ability to make sure that no person ever believes that. And I, I cannot stress that enough. I watch people who, who, who say to people, it's, it's, it's God's timing. We can't change God's timing. If you want me to believe that God wanted me to suffer from 1852 to 1978, I cannot be here. Do not put that on my father. Don't do that to me. Because if you do that to me, you will break me. I am here because I know that anything that any leader has said about me, God does not think that of me. And, and people, want, people want people to know that. And we cannot know that unless it is heard from the same places that said the things that are breaking people. That's it. We belong to a church where they said nigger from the pulpit. Then why don't we belong to a church where they say we shouldn't have said that? You are not that. You are a child of God. And the leader that said that was wrong. I, I just, I don't understand why that's so hard. And I don't understand why people want that to be on God. I think I understand it, Zandra. But I'll let you finish. And then I'll come back to that in a minute. Because if you want me to, who can, I don't know who. I, I don't know a person who can exist in the gospel if they believe that everything that diminishes them as a child of God, that God did it. No one, no one can exist under those circumstances. And it is, and I, and I want anybody, and I know there's a lot of people, and it, I don't care what color you are. I know there's a lot of hurting people out there. I know that I, I cannot express enough the people that, that put that fake site together. That was no work of God. That was no healing work. That was callous. It was cold. It was heartless. You, you added to the re-traumatization of an entire community and a body. And, and, and you, you please repent of that. Please. Whoever you are, apologize. Because you, you have hurt people. 
Once again, you are absolutely right, Zandra. Jonathan did hurt people. Jonathan created a hoax, something that was not real, and he packaged it in the official letterhead and website and all of the branding of the Mormon church. He made his fake report sound like it was actually from the church, like it was actually inspired from God. And that fake message touched you because it resonated with what you feel and understand of God. It said what you feel God would say and what God should say and what you really want to hear his representatives on this earth say, your leaders who you sustain and respect. And Jonathan used that to fool you. And that makes you angry, justifiably so. Now hear me out for a minute. Welcome to the world of ex-Mormonism. Welcome to the perception that someone has fooled you and packaged up the things that you most want to hear into a big, elaborate, mean-spirited hoax. Now, those of us who have left the church feel that way about the leaders of the church. Now, I understand that you don't. I even respect that you don't. But I'm pretty sure that Jonathan was operating from this position, that these church leaders, well, they pretend to speak for Jesus on a daily basis. And millions of people believe that hoax. Millions of good people. Good people who we should care more about. But the pain that you're feeling of being duped, you're not alone. Now, you said at one point that you don't understand why some Mormons want and need and insist on chalking up all of this racism to God. Why would they do that? Why is that so important? Here's why, I think. Priesthood. The thing that the Mormon church has that no other church on this earth can offer is priesthood. It's the keys to open up the gates of heaven, or close them, the many, many gates of heaven. The authority to perform necessary saving ordinances entrusted to the Mormons directly from God. A God who is actively involved in leading and directing every little step of this church through his leaders, the brethren, who for all intents and purposes speak for God and therefore cannot make such egregious mistakes that would suggest that maybe they're not speaking for God, especially in important issues like with the priesthood ban and the reasons for it. So if that wasn't God, then what else isn't God? Is the priesthood itself maybe not actually of God? Now this is a very slippery slope that you just can't slide down. And that, in my humble opinion, is why you get thrown under the bus time and time again by well-meaning people who white-knuckle grip onto the truth claims that make the Mormon church the one and only true living church on this earth with the priesthood authority to open and close the gates of heaven. It's a hammer and a much bigger, much more insidious hoax than the one that Jonathan pulled off. I can't be more clear about that. And I'm sorry for the pain that you're feeling from this hoax. I really am. And I don't mean to minimize it by getting on a soapbox here and talking about the hoax of the Mormon church as representing God on the face of the earth. But that's how I feel. 
And if I'm going to respect your position and understand your position and really want to realize the ideals that you and I share in common, then I hope that you'll understand and accept my perception of the church as well. I just want to say to the people that have been hurt that God loves you. Anything that that you that, that you have heard that says anything otherwise, it is not true. You are not cursed. You have never been cursed. You are not less valiant in the pre-existence, and you never were. And the leaders that told you that you were, were wrong. The leader that stood up at the pulpit and told a nigger joke, we are not niggers. We never were niggers. When he said that, we weren't that then. It was wrong. And God does not think that of you. I could go over countless things that people from high places in our church have said. And I will tell you that anything that has ever been said to you other than you are a child of God was wrong. And I hope there comes a day when you will hear that in the very places that proclaimed that that anything other than that. I'm praying for a day that that we have that. On June 1st, I, I, I mean... I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, on June 1st, that some of this will be addressed and that we will, we will have a healing word spoken over us by prophets, seers, and revelators who I do believe in and who I do sustain and who I look to, to bring me peace. I hope that we'll find out that they care. I hope that they'll find out that they see us. I hope that they will acknowledge the trauma and the pain that there are people that are trying so hard to exist in this place where God asked us to be. And we, and every day, there are things that happen to us that put dinks in our testimony. I hope they'll see that we don't, we want to celebrate truth and righteousness we don't want them to be embarrassed and we don't want them to feel shame. We just want to be healed. We just want the things that people feel encouraged to perpetuate because it came from us, from this church, that those things are spoken to. That's all we are asking that you, you, that you don't allow people to double down and tell hurting people that it's about God's timing, that you, that you speak peace and comfort to the members so that we can do what you asked us to do in your announcement today so that we can go forth into the world and that we can be humanitarians and witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we want, and I hope that is what we're going to get. You guys, I'm just, I'm just being real with you. I don't want to be left alone here. This is already so lonely. But I have, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that I do not know what to say to. I have no words for them.
I'm grateful that the leaders are meeting with the NAACP. But they don't have to stay. And I hate that I feel that they're the lucky ones because they're going to go home and they're going to get whatever it is they came to get from the church, an ally in their work. But they, they don't reside with us. And I wish the church... I wish the church would meet with its own members. They don't have to meet with me. There's plenty of members that they can meet with. And I wish they would commune with them the way that they're communing with the NAACP. I wish that the luncheon was full of members, members who want to heal and want to know that their leaders see them. I wish that the the prophet and the brethren were going down to music and the spoken word with members. You know, the NAACP, they don't, they don't need to sit amongst the brethren in order to feel peace in their lives. But there are members that the same way, like, I don't know how, the the NAACP gets an audience with the prophet over the people that are laboring here. We are the ones that need to sit with you and be healed. We are the ones that want to go into the spaces that we worship and be with you and know that you see us and know that you are, that you are, that you are taking our, are the desires and the pains of our heart to the Lord. And I'm not asking you not to meet with the NAACP, but I mean, I'm be honest, as I watch, as I watch a group of people who don't have to go to church with you guys on Sunday, get an audience and the members that are just asking, like, please, Please know what we go through. Please know we we don't. And the NAACP doesn't know what I go what I go through as a Latter-day Saint. The NAACP knows nothing of me. So I don't I don't expect for them to go in to the brethren and say, "Hey, these are what your members face." You know, you have you have you have children in your body that save their money and go on missions to be treated like garbage. By, the, by, by other members of their church. The NAACP is not going to say that to them because the NAACP doesn't know that. They don't worship with me. The same thing that the church is doing with the NAACP, they need to do with its members and all marginalized community. They need to sit with groups of single moms. They need to sit with groups of people of color. They need to sit with groups of people from the LGBT community. They need to sit with groups of divorced people. They need to sit with groups of people with, uh, with, with disabilities and special needs. And that's who I want them to be going to the music and the spoken word. Because when you sit with those people, those people are already in your body and you edify them, and you heal them, and then they will go out into the world, and they will do the same. 
and will be the people on the NAACP boards and will be the people meeting with leaders of the world because we were healed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when Christ sat with the woman at the well and he told her everything she knew about her, Christ didn't have to go out and find a group of people. He told one woman that he was the Christ and she dropped her bucket and she ran out and she spread the news to the world and she said, I just found a man at the well who told me everything I ever was and everything I ever will be and I know that he is the Christ. And based on that one woman's word, everyone from her town got up from what they were doing and they went to go find Jesus Christ so that they could have the testimony of themselves, for themselves. That's what happens when leaders of the church commune with the one. It just takes healing one person to, to reach an entire community. And the people that, that are closest to you are the people that have already felt that this is the place, that this is the gospel, that the restored gospel is true. We are here. We have been baptized. And if you sit with us, we will go out and we will heal the world. But... That's the way of Christ. That's how Christ did it. The, 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 Christ went to the lepers and he healed the leper. And one leper, only one out of all that he healed, came back and thanked him. That why we don't, I don't even know what happened to the other nine lepers. Do they, they don't even make the scriptures. I don't know what happened to them. But only one, that he told us that one came back. And I imagine that he told us that because that one person who came back and thanked Christ and knew that he was healed in Christ went out and made a difference. That's the leper that we know about. The woman who touched Christ with the issue of blood, one woman was healed. And that story made it into the scriptures. And that one woman that's healed her story touches and reaches people every time they read the Bible. One woman makes the difference. So if the leaders of the church want to know how to do this, I'm just going to tell you, be with us. Sit with us. It does, I, I don't care if you take the NAACP. I'm not saying don't host the NAACP. But I'm saying that you need to take the groups of people that, are, that need healing. What you're doing with them, that's what needs to be done with us. See, this is exactly what I mean when I say that I would like to live in a world that Zandra has helped to create. How many times did she say the word healing? How, how much is she talking about healing? It's about healing. How many diverse groups does she include that need that healing? I mean, all of us do, right? Every single one of us. And a church? that's brought together as a group of people who have this shared common sense of group healing without prejudicing one group over another, but ministering to and spending time with everyone in need? Yeah, Zandra for Bishop, I would totally be in that ward. And I'd be happy to speak any Sunday that she called on me to, <laughs> or, or whatever. I have lived in wards and communities where an apostle was coming. And you know what they did? They, they told us weeks in advance that they were coming and they asked us to be there on time so that, so that we could appear like a whole body. And they assigned members of the church to go out 
and to pick up the people who are usually late because they take public transportation. And then when Elder Holland was coming to visit us, we all were already in the chapel on time. And we looked like this united, very diverse body in Christ because we had went and got people from where they were and taken them out of their usual circumstances of having to get to church. And we were brought together. But then when Elder Holland left, those rides were gone. We didn't continue that effort. We did it just to, just to look like this is how we look because it would be quote unquote what they said rude for us to be walking in and out and people arriving late when we had a, an apostle coming to visit us but the truth is that's who we really were that's what really happened people in that ward took public transportation and it came in late and those efforts did not continue and so our leaders you know, we look shiny and new whenever they come to visit. We polish every surface and we and we and we want to hide the truth when 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 our leaders are coming to visit us. And I'm telling you, we need to stop doing that. If the ward is a divided hot mess, let the brethren see a divided hot mess when they get there, because that's the only way that they will know what we need as a people. Do not shine us up. Do not make us shiny and new. Don't polish us up. And I know it's hard because when people come into your place, you want to put your best foot forward. And I'm not saying like, don't fake anything. But I'm just saying like, you know, I've, I've come to realize that that does not work. When you, when you make things shiny and new when the leaders come, it doesn't work. You know, I've sat in wards. I've lived in diverse, what we call diverse in the church in America. I mean, other places wouldn't call it diverse, but it's diversity to us because it means that we have, it's not as homogenous as our other wards. But, you know, I grew up in Atlanta. I've lived in Chicago. The church has come to wards that I've lived in and they've used it to film their stock B-roll footage so that whenever there's like something that they need to, to have, that they, they're not just only showing homogenous wards. But I can tell you on the days that the church came to film us, we did the same thing. We made it shiny and new. We went and picked up people and made sure that they were there. And all of the things that existed when they're not there, they went away after they were gone. We didn't continue giving people rides and making this big effort to... Um, you know, make sure the kids that usually don't have a white shirt and tie and come serve in the sacrament in their uh, SpongeBob SquarePants t-shirt because that's all they had. Um, we didn't continue giving them white shirts for the rest of their existence in the church. No, they, and I'm grateful that I lived in wards that allowed you to serve in their SpongeBob SquarePants t-shirt if that's all they had. But when the brethren came and when the cameras came, we made sure they weren't in a SpongeBob SquarePants t-shirt. So what did that say to that child? It said that come as you are and we accept you as you are, but when the apostles get here or when the film crews get here, we need you to look a certain way that's not really as you are. And we didn't keep those things up. And and it's the same thing I feel about being asked to come sit in for music and the spoken word on Sunday now that the NAACP is coming. You're shining us up and making us appear something that we're not 
when really we just need to be who we are and find the places that we need to be healed. And, and I hope that the brethren recognize that, that they, and, and I believe, I believe that they, I believe that they love us. And I believe that if they see our pain, that they, that they will want to speak to it. But I also know that sometimes on the local level, we are doing things that make it so they can't see the truth. And I just want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm not engaging in that anymore. I'm not going to make things shiny and new. I, if I want to be healed, then I have to be willing to be vulnerable. And if I serve the sac, I don't serve the sacrament anywhere in my ward. But, <laughs> but if I, whatever, however I am, that is how I am going to allow my leaders to see me from now on. Because we're not shiny. We're not new. We're not bad. We're good. But we're but we're broken sometimes, and we have to. And if we if we want any hope of of having that brokenness healed, then we have to show the brokenness. And so I just want to commit to um, to you guys out there that need healing, that I I understand you, and that I feel just as broken as you do, and I'm committing to you that I am not going to hide my brokenness anymore. And I am going to allow people to see us for who we are. And I believe that who we are is good. I believe that who we are as members of the church of Jesus Christ is good. But there are parts of us that are broken and they're not fun. And they're not, they're not things that we can smile away all the time. And there are truth. And I want to be healed from from those things. And so I hope that I hope that there's if there's any bishops out there, when leaders come to your church, I don't care if you're just a all white ward, don't shine away your brokenness. If you don't sit with the single mom, don't sit with her when when an apostle comes to visit. So that the apostle can see that there are lonely single moms in your ward. If you're not kind to the divorced people in your ward, do not be kind to them when they show up for a visit. When there's a temple in your town, be who you are so that our leaders can see our brokenness and know that we are aching for it to be healed. Stop shining us up. Stop putting band-aids on things. Be who you are. And I, I am not engaging in that anymore. I am not going to sit in the tabernacle so that the NAACP can see a whole bunch of black faces. I don't even live in Salt Lake. So I don't fly in for music in the spoken word. But um, that's not something I would regularly do. And I'm not going on Sunday. And it doesn't matter. There's, there's black people there that will go on Sunday. But I'm not going to be one of those people that sits in the tabernacle and makes the church look blacker than it really is. The NAACP just needs to see us for who we are. And we are a good, we are good people. We are, we, we believe in Jesus Christ. We are a people that's committed to serving in our communities. We are a people that, um, that, that wants to do good in the world. We are a people that believe that, 
that we are each children of God and we strive to cheat others. We are people that enter the waters of baptism and we covenanted to bear one another's burdens, to mourn with those that mourn and to comfort those that stand in need of comfort and to keep the commandments of God. That's who we are as a people. And in being that, we are also a people that have said that people were cursed and we have said that people were less valued in the pre-existence and we have banned people from the blessings of exaltation and we have and we have done things that have damaged and hurt people's testimonies and we don't always get it right because we are fallible and that's who we are too and and the things that we get right we want to do more of but they can't mask the things that we get wrong the things that we get wrong we're supposed to be correcting Part of the fourfold mission of the church is the perfecting of the saints. And in perfecting the saints, that means that we are correcting the things that we get wrong. And we don't try to elevate the things that we get right and hope that they hide the things that we get wrong because that's not how it works. Jesus went and he communed with people who were sinners, who were prostitutes. And if that's what we're getting wrong in our church, if people who are dip, the different people in their ward, if they don't feel welcome, then we need to be correcting that. If there are people, I mean, in 2017, there's no reason why I had to explain to teenagers that, that we're not cursed. And I had to do that because I, I went to church and someone said that in a lesson. And I had to extinguish that, that idea. And the person said that even though we have a generalized statement on our website that says, today the church disavows all of the notions of cursing in the preexistence and any other thing that was put forth as an ex explanation for the ban. You know, even though the church said that, I still got taught that in 2017 and the church said that in 2013. And so my point in, in bringing all that up is to say that general disavowals don't work to heal us. And elevating all the things we do good, yes, we are humanitarians. We have yellow t-shirts and you will see us working. We can get places before FEMA. We are, um, we are giving people, we will donate. We will, we have a perpetual education fund. We believe in helping people get education. We have a real, uh, um, we have a self-reliance program that is top notch. Welfare Square that we have in Salt Lake City makes whatever the government is doing look like a hot mess. All of those things, they, we, we should, we should engage in those endeavors. We are good at those endeavors, but those things do not hide the things that we do wrong. And it's not right to, to, to want to walk people around and show them all our shiny when we come on tours of Salt Lake City and, um, and we take them to the Family History Center and we take dignitaries to Welfare Square, and we take them to Temple Square, and we show them this temple, and the tour guide says, do you know that members um, built this temple by hand? And when we found out that there was a crack in the foundation, it was so important that we tore years and years of labor down, and we built it back up, because that is how important 
the temple of God is to the people of the church of Jesus Christ, that one brick being broken, one foundation being cracked, the whole thing had to come out. That story is profound. The fact that we as a church found a crack in the foundation and we dismantled the entire house of God to put it back up together to make sure that the foundation would be cracked. That's what we do as a body of Christ. Yet, the crack in the foundation in this body, we're not dismantling to build it back up to make sure that that crack doesn't exist. And when the dignitaries come to Temple Square, we don't say to them, we tell that story about taking, uh, dismantling the whole foundation in order to build it back up properly, but we don't say, and Sam and Amanda Chambers contributed so much to the building of this temple in, in, in the building fund, and they never got to go in. And Jane Manning James walked across the plain and helped build this temple, and she never got to go inside. And when she was permitted to go inside, we sealed her by proxy as a slave to Joseph Smith. And we don't say some of these very bricks were built by Elijah Abel, who was a priesthood holder. And in 1852, when Brigham Young decided that we were no longer going to allow blacks to be ordained in the priesthood, he was not treated as a full member of church. That individual built some of these bricks and never got to go inside. We don't say that. We just talk about the part where we because one brick was broken, one crack in the foundation, we dismantled the whole temple and rebuilt it without the faulty foundation. But we didn't do that, did we? We're not doing that. We still have cracks in our foundation. And, and this racism and this a policy and all of the excuses and the things that are perpetuated in the church are cracks in the foundation of the house of God, just like the crack in the brick. And according to our church history, when the saints found a crack in the foundation, a faulty foundation, they ripped the whole thing up and rebuilt it. So that, there would, so that the temple would not be standing on a faulty foundation. These are the stories. These, this is the legacy of who we are as a people. We don't need to pretend that we don't know how to do this because God has been with us as we have done this time and time again. Was it scary for the saints who, who had spent years of their time building the temple, to have to rip it up? Do you know the very people who had laid bricks were the very people who had to then go and dig up the bricks that they had laid? They must have been in tears as they watched years and years of their sacrifice come up brick by brick. But they did it anyway. And because they knew that it, by digging this up, what they built would be stronger than what was laid before. If that is our foundation as members of the church of Jesus Christ, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid to rip down this broken foundation and build something better? I do not understand that. 
I love, love, love so much what you're saying right here, Zandra. Now, I've already explained why I think that people are afraid to tear down the monolith that is Mormonism. But here's a question for you that I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk about this. Now, instead of asking why people are afraid to do it in the church, how about asking why God hasn't commanded his prophets to do it? Should he? Has he? What's going on? Because I think you're absolutely right. We need to focus on healing. We need to be real, warts and all. Instead, we put on airs, we shine things up, we perpetuate a fraud and what I think is a hoax. So why hasn't God commanded his prophets to stop doing that? You know, when he commanded people to leave Nauvoo, they did. You're about to tell that story. Why isn't he doing it now? The saints built a city in Nauvoo. It was good and it was beautiful. And you know what they did? When Brigham Young said, we have to leave this all behind and start over brand new in Salt Lake City, the saints left everything behind and built a whole new city in Salt Lake City. This is what we're, what we need to do as a people is nothing any different than what we have been shown by our ancestors and forefathers in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ of what we have been asked to do time and time again. We go back and we talk about the prophet. We send people on track to go relive the, the, that experience. Yet then we come home and we don't want to do it ourselves. We're basically saying it's too hard for us. What was good for the saints of the past, we in 2018 are not willing to do that. We're not willing to leave everything behind. We're not willing to bust up the temple that we built and we sacrificed for because we found out that the, that the foundation is cracked so that we can build something new. We want to pretend that there is no crack in the foundation and keep building it up and hoping. But that's not what Latter-day Saints did in the past. They left what was broken and they built something new. And if that is what our legacy is as a people, then why are we afraid? Because every time history shows us that, yes, it was hard. Yes, it was traumatizing. Yes, it was, yes, they sacrificed, but God was with them. So why do we not believe that God will be with us as we get rid of this faulty foundation and build up something new. That's what the saints believe. Why are we celebrating Pioneer Day but being not being willing to do what they had to do? If, if, we, if, if, the, if the prophet of God asks us right now to leave our homes and to, and to go someplace else and to build churches anew, would we be willing to do that? And we say yes. We say we would do it. We say we would follow the prophet, but then we're a people that, with this with this particular thing, we're we're afraid to 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 dig it up. That's who we are as a people. That is our legacy, and that is that those efforts and those things and those stories that we constantly tell over the pulpit. We're not doing them as a people. We are not currently being people who. If one brick is cracked, dig it all up and build the Salt Lake Temple anew. And that's what we need to do in order to be one. 
And so I hope, I hope that's, that, that's what we're doing. I hope that, you know, things like shoulder to the wheel and all these things that people are creating, that they're not puff pieces and PR ploys to make us look shiny in areas that we are not shiny in. Because we're not. We're broken and we have a work to do to, to fix that. That's all I want to say, brothers and sisters. I already told you guys I wouldn't come and cry on the internet ever again after I did it. But today, that was this was too much. It was just too, too much. And um, all I want to leave you guys with is my testimony. And um, right now, my testimony is my testimony in God, that I'm a child of God, and that um, I come from a heavenly mother and a heavenly father who loves me. And that's not broken. Um, and that's what I know. And I know that my heavenly parents led me to the restored gospel. And that's what I'm holding on to. Um, and I want anyone out there, again, I just want to reiterate that anything, that, that you are nothing but a child of God. I don't care who you are, whoever I'm talking to. You don't mean black, white, brown, abled-bodied, differently abled, straight, gay, whoever. You know, whoever, single mom, married mom, um, married, but you can't stand your spouse, married, but you love your spouse, whoever you are. Apostate podcaster? Whoever you are. Yes. Educated, uneducated, poor, reliant, self-reliant or unreliant, saint or sinner, whoever you are, you are a child of God and you, you, are, you are created by divine creators. You know what? I, I, I like this testimony part because it gives me an opportunity to stretch and to find common ground. Um, and again, I've got to play the game of what are the ideas behind the words, behind the symbols that we're using? Because, uh, look, if I'm made up of atomic energy <laughs> and super string theory is legit, like Brian Greene says that it is and other theoretical physicists, then I'm made up of indestructible energy. And maybe we could call that divine. And maybe there's something more to that than what we understand right now that could be some kind of a spirit or a soul. Okay, I can be open enough to that. And to think that there's divinity, that there's some kind of Parents, again, parents is a, uh, a, a word that behind that, let's say something about um, creators. I, I, I know that I'm created, I'm here. So uh, all of this stuff, I think, I, I think is MacGuffin. It's like red herring. It, it, if we start focusing too much on the things that we don't agree on and don't believe in, then we miss out on all of the stuff that we do. And what you're saying right here. Sandra, is that we should all love each other equally, right? Is that a good way of summing it up? We should all love each other and care about each other equally, because if that's the message behind the words, I'm right here with you. And that's my testimony too. And there are things that happen on this earth that through no fault of your own, they impact you. True. 
and they can cause pain, uh -huh. they can cause trial, yep. and they can cause trauma. Yes. And I want you to know that it's not because God hates you. Right. God loves you. Yep. It's not because God believes that you are that child that needed to be traumatized. God doesn't believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, we came to this earth and we are subject to two things. The first thing that we agreed to is mortality. And whether we consciously agreed to it or not, the fact is that we're here. So I'll, I'll grant you that common ground here. And, you know, one thing I do want to say, if there is any kind of like pre-existence and agency that we have in choosing to come down to this earth. And, it, you know, it, I remember being a seminary student and a seminary teacher talking about how, um, you know, speculating that we may have actually designed the curriculum for our life to learn the kind of lessons that we needed to learn. And we chose the parents that we chose and the family that we came into and the friends and things like that. If there's anything at all to that, then people who were born, who choose, people who choose to be born into minority situations, places where there is extreme prejudice and they're going to be on the brunt receiving end of that and they chose to do that of their own free will ahead of time, those people are not the lazy, non, uh, what was the word? Non-valiant. Yeah, they're not the lazy, non-valiant ones who got cursed by being a minority. They're the brave ones. They're the soldiers. And I don't mean this in any kind of a pandering way, but to knowingly come in to a life like that where you're surrounded by a culture that is constantly pushing you out and making you feel less than. Ah. If there's anything to that pre-existence idea, then the people that came down as transgendered in today's day and age, people that came down LGBT, women who come into the LDS church where they're going to be marginalized, people of color, you're the ones that have the hardest. Anyway. And that means that we are here in unresurrected bodies and our bodies are subject to mortality and we experience sickness and disease. If you pinch me, I will hurt. If you shoot me, I will bleed. And if you damage me enough, I will die. And that is mortality. And that's what we agreed to. And not one of those people that believes that, that, I, that I chose my trials. There's things that have happened to me in my life that I would never wish on anybody. I have gone through things, and I know many of you out there have gone through things you would never wish on anybody. And I'm not even one of those people that says because of the, the good that it came in my life, I wouldn't go through, I would go through them again. There, there are things that I have been through refiner's fires that I would never go through if I had the choice because I believe that, that there is a God that could teach me how to be empathetic without making me suffer abuses and, and, and things like that. So there, I'm not one of those people that, that even says I would do it all again. Cause I believe that, that mortality is something I agreed to. And because of that, I don't have a resurrected body. And so I will be exposed to, to hurt of my body and to pain and to suffering of the body. And that might mean sicknesses. And in the end, it, 
ultimately it means that I will leave this, this earthly life because I agreed to be subjected to mortality. And Heavenly Father, I told him I would, I would, I would agree to be a mortal being. And the second thing I agreed to is to come to this earth and have agency. And that means that others have agency. And so there are times where the agency of others impacts me and it impacts you. And the things that people do to you, God doesn't, the harmful things and the traumatizing things that people do to you. I want whoever the one I'm, whoever the one is I'm talking to, I want you to know that God does not want those harmful and traumatizing things done to you. Problem of evil. But we agreed that we would come here and God agreed that he would give us agency. And so we are here and we are subject to mortality and we are subject to agency. And sometimes those two things mean that we experience some very, very hard things things that we probably were never meant to go through. And what God promised us was that because we were going to be here experiencing mortality and because we were going to be here and subject to other people's agency and sometimes our own agency, many times my own agency is, is the cause of my own suffering. And so whether it's my agency, someone else's agency, or just pure mortality, that causes trials, trauma, and pain. God promised you that he would not leave you in those things. And, and by this part, Xandra, the common ground that I think is that whether I believe in God or not, the way that you're describing it, that if, if we are connected with each other to a common purpose of easing suffering and of helping people heal, of healing each other, if we're connected in that way with that common goal, then we are not leaving each other alone. God is working through us to say it that way, that we are the representatives, we are the hands of God that are providing that uh, ministering and nurturing and succoring to each other. And in that sense, this idea of God or the idea that's behind the idea of God and easing suffering and pain and not being alone and healing is a way that we can actually realize it. That's what I hear in things that you said earlier and things that you wished that the leaders would do, sitting with people, looking at the hurt and the pain and being there to heal, that we can do that for each other. If we can, if, if we can agree that and not focus so much on whether there's a God behind it or not, but like, what is actually the fruit of that? I think we could be on the same page. And that is what I want to testify to you, that God sees you, your heavenly parents love you, that you are divine, that you are theirs, that you always were, and you always will be. And despite mortality and despite agency, that will never change. That is something that I can sit before each of you and still testify of today, despite the trauma that I felt this morning. And I pray, I know it's not everything, but I pray that for anyone out there, that it is something that you can hold on to. 
that no matter where you go, whether you are inside the boat or outside the boat, whether you are threading water or you feel like you are drowning, I want you to know that you are loved. And I don't care who tells you that you are not, that they are wrong. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zandra, for recording this yesterday, for sharing this in a way that I could find it and think about it and respond to it. I I loved it. And thank you, Jonathan, for the brilliant satirical piece that inspired this. Yes, it caused pain. And I encouraged you to own that and to take responsibility for it and mend what you can mend. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Infants on Thrones. Please leave a rating and write a review on iTunes if you want. Come over and support us on Patreon if you can. This has been amazing to go through this episode today, and I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Anyone for the closing prayer? Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is Shaylee's dad doing Star Trek theme. Yeah, I know.